Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm so excited to have our featured guest for tonight because he was the very first guest we had on the Out of Limits of Inner Truth back in 2014. I think he's the ideal person who would want to feature on the Out of Limits of Inner Truth. He, first off, he's a dear friend. I would call him a renaissance man. He is a comedian, a comedy writer, an oral surgeon. He found a cure for stuttering. In addition to that, he's also a best-selling author. There's so many things. Oh, also, energy healer, too. <laughs> There's so many things this gentleman does. His name is Jeffrey Gurian, and he's got a great new book. You probably saw a post on it earlier this week. And he defies and lays out a lot of his spiritual teachings and principles. There's so much to learn about this gentleman, and I really hope you get a chance to meet him in person because he's got very warm energy, and not to mention he's extremely funny. Let us begin tonight's show. Great honor to have you with us today, sir. Thanks so much, Ryan. It's always great to be on with you, too. And on my book, it says Dr. Jeffrey Gurian. Dr. See, I go back and forth between the two. <laughs> oh, real quick to let everyone know, people can learn more about you by going to your website at jeffreygurian.com. Mr. Grant, can you please explain to our listeners about the book, about how you have a great new deal on your book when it first gets released? Well, um, it's starting out as an e-book. Uh, Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind is a book that has been, I, I could actually honestly call it a, a lifetime of work and thought has gone into it. And uh, it's launching on Amazon tomorrow, Monday, October the 30th. And I'm making it free for your listeners for the first two days. Um, it, and the subtitle, as you said, is A Spiritual and Humorous Approach to Achieving Happiness, which is all anybody wants. You ask anybody what they want out of life, and most people say the same thing. They just want to be happy. What that means is something different to different people. But most of us are, <clears throat> are plagued by our past, by things that we wish we could change, um, all of us have some kind of emotional uh, disturbances, which you can't help but get as you go through life, you know. Uh, from the time we're children, as I say in the book, you know, one of my promos is, um, have you ever felt that you're more sensitive than you wanted to be? Or has anyone ever broken a promise to you or lied to you or hurt your feelings in some way? And does the does the phrase heart wounds mean anything to you does it resonate with you on any level because my theory is that as from the time we're children we build up these heart wounds from people hurting us from people breaking promises and not doing what they say they're going to do and those heart wounds stay with us through our whole lives and they affect our thoughts they affect our self-esteem they affect our confidence and every decision that we make in our lives is based on our thoughts. And if your thoughts are faulty, if your thoughts are working against you in some way, which can easily happen, then your decisions are not going to work out for you. And so what it means is that if, if that's what's happening to you, if you, if you can uh, relate to what I'm saying, then you may be holding thoughts that are not valid for you. And there's a saying that I use that you can't get better with the same mind that got you sick. In order to get your life back to a place of happiness and comfort, you need new thoughts. And you can't really come about them on your own. Someone has to share them with you. 
So, what are you talking about? Thoughts, conscious yes. thoughts. What's no, well, no, a, a lot of times, a lot of times, there's subconscious thoughts. Well, like for instance, in my own case, I was a very severe stutterer until I was in my twenties, and even beyond that, I was I stuttered so badly that I wasn't able to say my name. And I was determined not to go through the rest of my life as a stutterer. My parents had sent me to speech therapy. No one was able to help me. No matter what they told me or what they did, I still stuttered. And one day I realized, I was given the grace, actually, to realize that when I was alone, I didn't stutter. I could go into a room by myself and I could speak perfectly. Uh, but when I tried to speak to you or someone else, anybody else, I would stutter. And that told me that there was really nothing wrong with me. That you can't have a disability based on your location. I use the example that if a man has a limp, he limps in every room of his house. He can't go into a room and close the door and stop limping because that's a true disability. What I had was something that I created for myself for whatever reason, whether it was a lack of confidence or low self-esteem. What I teach people, because as an avocation, I work with stutterers uh, to teach them how not to stutter anymore. Um, I, I, I tell them that it is not important to ever think that you found the exact reason for your problem. It's important to look at all the possibilities. Don't close your mind off to anything. It's important to be open. That's how we, that's how we are able to change by being open, by first admitting that we have a problem, and then opening your mind to thoughts that you may not have had before. And a lot of those thoughts are what I refer to as spiritual wisdom. And I make a very big distinction in the book about the difference between spirituality and religion so that people don't think I'm talking about religion because religion can be a wonderful thing, but it tends to divide people by putting you into a category and so other people are automatically outside of that category if they don't share your religious beliefs. But spirituality, all that means is that you believe in a force greater than yourself, and you could call it nature or the universe or God, whatever you feel comfortable calling it, as long as you know that it isn't you. Well, but, actually, I do want to go into it a little bit. Is there a possibility of being spiritual and just not accepting the idea that there is a force greater than you, that you are actually a part of the force that is all living things, and that you just happen to be an expressionism of that force in the human body, the human form, and thought consciousness. But theoretically speaking, there is no force out there that is greater than who you are, unless there is a um, idea that you accept the idea or notion of separation, of believing the illusion of separation, that you and the divine being are separate beings. Well, you know, it's an interesting point that you bring up because in the 12-step programs that are considered very spiritual, you know, that's the essence of all 12-step programs, you can be agnostic and still be in the 12-step programs. Um, I think it's helpful if you can believe that there is some greater force because it's not man that makes the the, the sun come out in the morning and the moon come out at night, and we don't... We don't uh, make the tides come in and out, and we don't, you know, rule the weather and stuff like that. There are forces that are greater than us that we have no control over. And things happen in your life that you couldn't possibly imagine. And for some reason, it gives people a sense of comfort 
to believe in something, not just to believe that things just everything just happened by accident. Um, it's been my experience, and, and I often ask people like, how does it diminish you in any way to open your mind to the concept that there could be a higher force? Because it's almost arrogant to say that you believe that there isn't. Because nobody knows for sure whether there is or there isn't. There is, there's been many signs, you know, but um, as I said, it, it, it almost feels arrogant. We're only human. We only have so much knowledge, you know, um, to draw upon. And to say that you know for sure that there is no higher force, is, as, as I said, it's almost arrogant. It's it's easier to open well, your mind how, and, say, does, and say you know what it's possible. It's who knows, it's definitely possible. But maybe you could answer that question. How does it diminish you in any way to open your mind to the concept that it could be possible? It could be possible. Then is it not the same thing that to say that it's not possible? How, who's to say either way? I mean, people are well, saying that's that, what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it, it could either be, but it's nicer to believe that there could be than there couldn't be. Well, I guess if the if the higher power happens to be nice, I love George Carlin's approach on the higher power. He did the infamous uh, thing in his comedy routine where he really talks about God Almighty as being a third level like temp, not exactly the the show of force <laughs> of a of a ruler of the universe. I, I love when he did that. I thought he was so sharp when he was talking about that because I feel he really did challenge a lot of these belief patterns. I, mean, I think he was open to it. He said he worshipped the sun. He said the sun. <laughs> Well, that's fine. Anything that you want, as long as you know that it isn't you, as long as you don't think that you control everything in your life. The reason being is that most many things in life don't work out the way we want. And when that happens, people blame themselves. They tend to blame themselves. And they tend to think, if I had only done it this way, if I had only said this to that person, things would be different. If I had only done that. And so what happens is that they go through life regretting their past thinking what they should have done and what they could have done. And then they're worrying about the future, what's going to happen to them. And meanwhile, they're losing the now. They're not in the present because they're so worried about the past and the future that their mind, they're so filled with anxiety that they're losing the now. And so it doesn't matter if you call it the sun or grass or a dog, which is God spelled backwards. As long as you're open to the concept that there could be something besides yourself that's controlling your life and controlling the things that happen to you. And which is not a great explanation of all the horrible evil things that have happened in the world. Why would a loving God allow those things to happen? I totally get those questions. You know, um well, and do I don't think, think so? anybody has what ever answered. What, what what do you what do you think? What do you think that happens? Why why do terrible things happen that the people seem to have great hearts? To good people. And, I, you know, I address that in the book. There's a chapter in there. I've read Esoteric Wisdom for years, and the best explanation that I've ever heard is that if you do believe in a God, that they're more concerned with your spirit than your body. And that sometimes people's bodies have to leave so that they can use their spirit. Because spirits are energy, and you can't kill a spirit. And when the person stops moving, the spirit has to go somewhere. Now, that's still not a good reason for people to have to suffer. And I don't understand. I don't, I, you know, I don't know that anybody has a, a good answer for that. 
why people have to suffer, why the Holocaust ever happened. Why? I mean, there is definitely evil in the world. There's no question about that in my mind, that there are people that are just a force of evil and they just want to hurt other people. The world would be such a better place if that didn't exist, but there are forces of evil and you have to just hope that you don't encounter them in your life, you know? Um, so uh, it's pretty crazy. I love the chapter, the name of one of your chapters in the book. It's called Never Regret the Past, but it's okay to look, but just don't stay. So uh, Don't stare. Don't stare. Don't stare. <laughs> yeah. So what about the past? I mean, do you feel that if sometimes if people don't absorb the lessons of the past, that they're bound to make the same mistakes in the future, at what point should you stop staring? At the pass, when do you think it's a it's a well? You're time supposed to... to use your past as a guide, so that you don't make the same mistakes again. You know, otherwise you're kind of doomed to keep repeating the same thing. People tend to have patterns in their life when they see that certain areas of their life are not working out. It's very often it's something that's been going on for many years that this continuously happens that it's not working out and. Very often, it's the thoughts that we use to make our decisions that are faulty. It's very hard to determine which of your thoughts are not valid. I had to do that for myself in order to conquer stuttering. I had to look at what I was thinking about myself. I was holding a lot of thoughts about myself that were very negative, and I created a disability for myself that, again, was not really valid. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this this uh, statement. I use it a lot in my work. Marianne Williamson used it in her book, uh, Return to Love. And it, I, I call it About Fear. I don't know if it had that title, but uh, it's our, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others won't feel insecure around you. We were born to manifest the glory within us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That is the most meaningful statement that I have ever read in my life. I can honestly say that. And it pertains so much to me and to stuttering in general. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to make believe in school that I didn't know the answer when I did because I didn't want the other kids to think that I thought I was smart. Not that I was smart, but that I thought I was smart. I would rather look, I would rather put myself down and look bad then have the other kids feel that I was smarter than them. And there are a lot of people who would rather put themselves down and sacrifice themselves to make other people feel better about themselves. When the real thought is, if I am successful at what I do, I become an inspiration to other people. So I had to change my whole mindset. I had to take my mind apart, really, and examine my thoughts and realize that holding myself back to make other people feel better about themselves it was not a good choice that I can be as successful as I want. I can be as bright a star as I want. I can be, you know, 
and uh, which applies to everyone. You can be a superstar, and it doesn't have to make other people around you feel bad about themselves. You become an inspiration to them because they understand that if you can do it, they can do it as well. And that's the spiritual thing, that if I did something, you can do the same thing. If I stop stuttering, then other stutterers can do the same thing. But most people don't work as hard as I did. I was obsessed with stopping stuttering, and I worked on myself for years. Literally for years, it was my primary focus. And I was determined that I was not going to stop until I could let go of stuttering. And I finally did, and it took a very long time. But you can use that thought pattern to overcome other obstacles in your life. I want to bring to your attention with regards to thought pattern, other factors that could be skewing your thought process, and I would refer them back to nutritional deficiencies, or I'll give an example. person who's dehydrated may have a higher reach of anxiety. person who eats a lot of food, higher tryptophan may have an unnatural or maybe uh, an excessive surge of serotonin in the brain. So they're going to feel better naturally. person who, you know, drinks a little bit, you know, has a maybe a healthy balance of drinking, may feel a little bit better than an average person. So I'm wondering, with all these other factors that are out there, what are what factors that ha- that a body can have based on what kind of food, drinks, or how the body condition is in, how much of an influence can that have on your day-to-day thoughts? And could your feelings of, well-being may actually be a direct correlation between your body telling you that you're feeling good, meanwhile inside you may not necessarily feel as good as your body's telling you you are? Well, there's certainly a connection between your physical being and your emotional being. There's no question about it. And any time you want to make a change, you have to do body, mind, and spirit. You have to do it on all three levels. You can't just change one thing. So, you can have a great diet and change, and obviously you know a lot about that. You probably know more than I do about that. But um, you can you can create health in one area and still feel not so good in another area, uh, mostly due to cellular memory. I think most of our problems stem from things that happened to us in childhood. Um, what you're talking about is, you know, most children don't choose their own diets. That's more of an adult thing to do. Uh, you know, when you when you take back the power and you start controlling your life as an adult, like some people want to lose weight, so they look for healthy diets, they do research, and they figure out what's best for their particular body. But in terms of your actions and how you feel, most of that stuff comes from when we were children, and it has to do with how you were raised, and mostly your interpretation, your perception of how you were raised. You know, you can have siblings that grew up in the same house, same parents, same environment, and yet they turn out completely different because their perception of what they went through as a child is completely different. And I find that fascinating. Uh, From the time you're born, every single thing that you've ever experienced is still inside of you. Uh, Every single thing that you experienced with your senses, with all five of your senses. So it's the reason that you can hear a song that you like and you remember the boy or girl that you liked in the third grade you know just by hearing that song it's like a sensory deja vu and it happens automatically there's no thought involved or you smell somebody's perfume walks by in the street and it'll bring back a flash of memory like your kindergarten teacher wore that perfume 
and it happens instantaneously because it's a trigger. It triggers a memory that's already inside of you. And for some reason, trauma seems to be a stronger, um, it seems to be imprinted stronger than happy times. So throughout our day, we're subjected to different triggers that <clears throat> trigger different feelings. You might hear a song and it reminds me of a sad time in your life. Or you see somebody wearing an article of clothing that someone you cared for used to wear. Or you go near a street where something sad happened to you. You were dating somebody who lived in a certain area and you broke up. And when you go in that area, you can actually feel that in your body. And that's cellular memory. And those are the things that that make us feel certain ways. And so when you look back over your past and you, you uh, examine the things that happened to you and how they affected you, that's one of the things where we say, look back, but don't stare. Don't get stuck there. Look back and analyze what happened and think about it, how it's affecting you now, still, sometimes many, many, many years later. And then try and release that. You know, there are people that carry pain with them. My dad carried pain with him from his father who left at a very young age, and he carried it his whole life. And I, I, <clears throat> I was very sure that a lot of that had to do with uh, a lot of his illnesses that he had. And one time we were in the hospital together. He was so sick, and I, I said to him, you know, his father abandoned him, and he hated his father. And I said, you know, you're still giving him power over you after all these years. If you really hate him, let him go. You know, that's how you get even with somebody. If you really want to do that, you just let them go. Because there's a, there's a saying, resentment is like you taking poison, expecting the other person to die. And so many times in life we resent people who have hurt us, which feels natural sometimes. I mean, how you know, we're not made of stone. If somebody hurts you, it's normal to feel angry or to feel hurt or feel resentful. But when you carry that with you, it can make you sick because when you're thinking of them all the time, you get a headache, you get a stomach ache, a backache, whatever. But, and they're not thinking of you at all, probably. They're just going about their life, and you're dwelling on what they did to you. But isn't it good to take away some of the positive energy? I mean, isn't there something something positive, profound, when somebody does something really bad to you, and then they, they fall on their ass, and, you know, nothing you did but it just happened? I mean, if you if you take a little joy, you kind of smile. Is, is anything necessarily wrong with that? Are you, you There's nothing yourself? wrong with it. It's human nature, but not everyone finds out when that happens because you're not really supposed to be in touch with the people yeah. that have hurt you. You know, so most of us don't know when that happens. Someone told me the story today about someone uh, who had really hurt a lot of people. I'm trying to think of who it was. It was just this afternoon someone told me that story. And then they found out that they were no longer alive uh, suddenly, uh, a person who had hurt an awful lot of people. And it's so funny that, you know, I, I, I don't keep thoughts like that for too long. Like when I don't, I try not to dwell on anything negative and I yeah, try to block it out. You're a very, very positive guy. Well, I work very hard at that. I've had to over over the years because I'm an empath. Uh, and in order to do healing work, I mean, it's a gift that you're given that that feels like a burden for a long time instead of a strength. It doesn't feel like a strength. It feels more like a weakness because you feel what other people feel. 
And, you know, there was a time in my life if I was with you and you were sad, I was sadder for you than you were. I, I overfelt my feelings, which is a very difficult way to live when you do that because you're constantly interacting with people and people have a lot of problems. And if you're feeling their problems all the time, it can be overwhelming to you, you know. And for me, it was. And then psychics that I've met, actually, that I was an empath. And that's what makes me successful. When I was when I was in practice, I was a cosmetic dentist for many years. And then I was a professor at a major university in oral medicine and oral facial pain. And so I was able to help a lot of people that were in pain with techniques of just using touch, you know, mostly for uh, for the physical symptoms of stress-related illness, things like uh, migraine-type headaches and neck and back pain and uh, ear pain. A lot of a lot of the things that were associated with bruxism, which is clenching and grinding the teeth from stress. And in this country alone. There's more than 150 million people, 150 million people who suffer with what they think are migraine headaches that very often are what we call musculoskeletal headaches where the muscles in the head and the neck cramp up from overuse, from people clenching and grinding their teeth all night in their sleep. And most physicians don't know about it, and a lot of dentists don't even know about it. So very often it goes undiagnosed. Because when a person wakes up in the morning and their neck hurts, probably the last person in the world they would tell would be their dentist, right? Why would you tell your dentist that your neck hurts? It wouldn't occur to most people. And so if a dentist is not checking that, if they're not in tune with that, it goes undiagnosed. I made thousands of appliances for people when I was in practice, uh, soft night guards to take away the pressure from grinding to release the muscles, and then I would use energy from my hands to take away the pain, to open the muscles in the head and the neck, let the circulation flow, and the pain would go away, you know. And so I'm an empath, so I had to learn all those things about myself well, so that I could be more comfortable in this world as well. I do want to bring that up about you being an empath because earlier in your book, I just love it, talks about your entire life story, about what it was like growing up, what it was like to feel so so deeply and talking about this, you know, heart wounds. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, you said that you were betrayed by a lot of people, people were really close to you. What do you think are some of the most egregious wounds a person can suffer? And of those wounds, emotional deep wounds, what do you think have the most profound impact on a person's life going forward? I'm talking about even if they feel uh, happy, even if they feel content with life, what wounds... Could they be inflicted, and what wounds do they address, even if they feel happy and content? Well, I think the most obvious is um, relationships, you know. Everyone who is divorced was once married. You can't get divorced unless you were married first, right? So you have to be married. So everyone who is married chose someone that they thought was a great choice and hoped that they would be together forever, now, as you and I both know, that's not how it works out a lot of the times. The divorce rate is very, very high in this country. I don't know what it's like around the world, but in this country it's very high. So you also don't marry everybody that you date. So you go through life as a 
as a young teenager, from the time you start dating, and either people accept you or reject you, right? And sometimes they accept you for a while, and then at some point they reject you. And so we all wind up, when you go through that, you wind up with these heart wounds because no one understands why they're not good enough or why they're not a certain way. Everyone, everyone has something about them that they would change if they could. Even the most beautiful models, they know where their defects are, you know, uh, whether they're men or women. There's nobody who's perfect. And very often these gorgeous models grew up going through a very awkward stage. And the way you think about yourself in your formative years is usually how you think about yourself as an adult. You know, very often people who were heavy as children and lost a lot of weight, they still think of themselves as heavy. Your perception is very important. There are people, you know, when you see someone who's anorexic and really very thin, when they look in the mirror, they don't see what you see. They see, they still see heavy. And it's very interesting to think that people are not seeing the same thing. So I think relationships are the source of most of people's pain in life because it's very hard to go through your life all alone. People want to connect to other people. So whether you're ostracized, I mean, that's why the bullying thing is so powerful because there seems to be a mean streak in people as as children and a lot of people. They like to point out who they think is different and who doesn't fit in. And that's why you read so much about uh, suicide these days, young people who are being bullied who wind up committing suicide. And I remember as a kid, I made fun of kids and, you know, of other kids who I thought were different. And it used to bother me, but I remember doing it anyway And until I grew out of it. You're supposed to grow out of that by the time you're maybe like 11 or 12 years old. But there are adults who do that all the time. You know, there are many adults who are guilty of bullying uh, just by their attitude and how they treat other people and how they make them feel like they don't fit into their particular group. So those are the kind of heart wounds that we accumulate. As you go through life, you know, you look around and then you realize who you are and that's it for you for your whole life. You're going to be that person. And sometimes you're not happy with who that is, you know, but you can't change it. And I talk a lot about acceptance in the book. And I relate it a lot to my stuttering story because there's a, there's a thing called the serenity prayer. And the serenity prayer is, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and what I consider to be the most important line, and the wisdom to know the difference. If I wasn't given the grace, and I consider it grace, to realize that there was really nothing wrong with me, that I didn't, if I didn't stutter when I was alone, it meant there was nothing wrong with me, I would still be stuttering today. But I realized that I didn't have to accept that. What you do have to accept is the things about you that you can't change. If there are certain things that are just, that's part of you, you know, that you can't have plastic surgery for, let's say, or just that's part of your identity and you can't change them, then you have to accept that or else it will drive you crazy. But there are things that you can change about yourself. And when you do that, you're taking back the power. You know, every interaction in life is about power. When you're talking to somebody else, it's an exchange of power. If they're teaching you something, 
they have the power. If you're teaching them something, you have the power. And in every relationship, one person seems to be more powerful than the other. You know, So in your own life, in your personal life, when you can make a stand, sometimes people make dramatic changes in themselves. I've seen people lose 100, 200 pounds. To me, that is so phenomenal that people take control of their lives that way uh, because no one has to do that. You know, you could easily go through your whole life the same way that you are, but when you work really hard to make a change and it pays off, that to me is amazing. I'm in awe of people who can do that, and I was very lucky that I was able to do that with my stuttering problem. You know, and I go back to that a lot because to me that was one of my greatest accomplishments. And now when I'm on the radio or I do something on TV or I'm speaking or I'm performing on stage because I'm also in the comedy world, that's why it's a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. I listen to my voice all the time. I, I never take it for granted. I could start stuttering tomorrow, but I refuse. That's part of my technique. I, I will not let myself do that. I won't give away my power that way anymore. You know? well, I love this uh, chapter in your book. Protecting, it's called Protecting Our Energy by Creating Our Own Happiness Centers. And in there you talk about surrounding yourself with objects and things that could, you know, maybe talk about relating to your inner child. And when I looked at some of the, I've been to, uh, for our audience, so I've been to Jeffrey's apartment before, and it is awesome. It really <laughs> is awesome. Because... You walk in there, first thing you do is, I think the energy is that you feel completely at ease, and there are wall-to-wall pictures. I mean, I'm talking about from the ground to the ceiling of Jeffrey with the, like, all the celebrities that are important, and you have all these toys that are in there. So you've got balloons. Balloons is the first thing you see when you walk in. Right? It's balloons. awesome. Oh, yeah, it's so cool. And I, I thought about it. In my, in my office, I have Transformers. And um, when I'm doing, like, with a webcam, I'm like, oh, i got to take down the Transformers. But I have them in there because, it, you know, it reminds me of what it was like when I was a kid. And right. I, it, there's a lot of power that comes in. I was wondering if you could please elaborate on the significance and the importance of, of being an adult and still having toys around you. Yes. Well, you know what? It relates to the cellular memory thing that I was talking about. I also have a lot of affirmations around. I keep affirmations. I'm very, a very strong believer in the use of positive statements to change your mind. Uh, because that's what you really need to do. So I use balloons. I always have balloons at my entrance, and people come in who have never been there, like, are you having a party? And I'm like, always, because balloons to me are a symbol of happiness. You never see balloons at a funeral. You know, balloons are always, they signify a party and happy times, and I believe that, you know, once you leave your house, you're at the mercy of whatever the world has in store for you that day. You have no idea what it's going to be. And the only place where you can hope to control your environment is at home, where you live. Uh, and whether you have a small one bedroom, whether you, you know, just one room someplace, or whatever your living space is, you should surround yourself with things that make you happy. Whether it's colors or pictures of people that you care for, or with me, it's all those things. It's toys, it's color. My whole apartment is white. My piano is white. My carpeting is white. My car is white. White makes me feel good. It's like a healing color to me, and it's bright. A lot of people live in dark apartments with dark-colored walls, and they wonder why they feel sad. You know, some people, I'm, I'm very sensitive to light. I'm like a plant. I need lots of light. And so 
I, I make everything around me light, you know, bright colors. And so I call that creating your own happiness center. I have all over my place little toys, pictures that I like, pictures of my kids, of my family, so that every place you look, there should be no place that you look that is a trigger for a bad memory. You know, every place in your in your in your apartment, like my some some people might think my place is cluttered because I have things just about in every space, every place you look, there's something. But it's all there because I put it there. You know, I'm not like a hoarder. I don't have newspapers from years ago and stuff like that. I I keep magazines that have meaningful stories to me. I cut out things that that I want to learn. I'm on a quest for knowledge and truth. Since I'm a kid, it's always been fascinating. I see the world in a different way than a lot of people, and I want to share that with people who understand it. That's what this book is about. This book resonates with people. Like so far, I've been blessed to get some really positive results. Before you put out a book on Amazon, they have something called a soft launch, and what you do is you send it to some people, and I sent it to people in different fields who I knew, to ask them what their response was. And I got amazing uh, reviews from people in the psychiatry world, from MDs, from the head of recovery centers, for people who were addicted to different substances, because there's a lot of information in there and spiritual wisdom that helps people who are suffering with addictions to different things, because in order to conquer that, you have to change the way you think as well. And... Um, I have, you know, just a, there's, I think right now there are about 16 five-star reviews on Amazon from like very meaningful things that people have said. It seems to be resonating with people, which is why I'm excited. I'm nervous about tomorrow, but I'm also excited about it because, uh, and that's why I'm making the book free for two days so that people get a chance to look at it with no, you know, if you don't have to spend money on it, you have nothing to lose. And if the title resonates with you, plus there's a fun cover on it. It's a picture of a dog meditating on a pillow, like in, in the clouds, you know, like in the sky with a beautiful kind of mandala type of uh, graphic behind them. And I just feel good about the cover because that's what draws people besides the title a cover is important. And oh, the, the, the book is a classic. The book is a classic. And I want to take our audience into a section of your book. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call it a date. May 31st, 1994. Mm-hmm. So a lot happened during this day. So I'm going to try to summarize it the best I can. It happened to be one of the most stressful days I can imagine a person goes through. You take a week vacation. You come back from the vacation. Oh, I remember And that. <laughs> your alarm goes off. You're supposed to be at your office. And when you, you get there almost two hours late, you got a puppy. The puppy poops all over your car. <laughs> And your nurse gets locked out. Your assistant gets locked out. You start the day. And at the end of the day, despite all that stress, which I'm sure most people will lose half their hair, you come up with this realization, this great piece of wisdom. Jeffrey, what was that piece of wisdom? I wish you would remind me. I remember that story, but I don't remember how I ended the story. I remember oh. that. I, well, I, you know what? I called it the ultimate victim of the universe. Yeah. because it was like everything was conspiring against me from the time, you know, they were supposed to, like I had my furniture being reupholstered while I was away. The office was closed for about 10 days. They were supposed to, I left them the key. They were supposed to return the furniture 
reupholstered in a state where it would be ready for patients to sit on. I came into the office that day, as you said, two hours late. I, I, I overslept, which I never did. I got stuck in traffic. Both my nurses got locked out. They both forgot their keys. Uh, the dog, as you said, pooped in the car. I was a puppy that I was bringing with me, messed up the entire car so I couldn't pull out of the garage until I cleaned it. And when I got to the office and I finally got in, there was no furniture at all. People had to stand. I had to go get seats. The company never returned the furniture. There were dead mice on the floor. The air conditioner didn't work. I turned it on, and it was a water-cooled air conditioner, and a leak started, and the water started going all over the carpeting. And it was that. I mean, it was every single thing that you could think of that could possibly go wrong went wrong. And But I don't remember what I wrote. What What was the part that struck you that happened at the end? The part that struck me that happened at the end yeah. is the fact that um, it's about you have your health. Yeah, if you have your health, it's the most important thing that matters. I was so surprised by it because in my industry, in the industry, it gets, it gets really, really stressful sometimes. And it's just, it was nice to really point that out and say, no matter what, you know, as long as you have your health, as long as you're healthy. You know, that is the most important thing. You know, I love that. Almost two years ago, I had a heart attack. And it came out of nowhere. It was a tremendous surprise. And I believe I talk about that in the book as well. Um, I hope I included that because it was very important. Do you remember if you saw it or not? If I included that story? You know well, you're trying, to t- you're trying to tell everyone that you were having a heart attack and like people didn't take you seriously. Like, well, just walk to the hospital. Because I was just, very just calm. I told, I told the police, yeah, and the guy said, yeah. I think you should go to the hospital. And I was like, well, that's why I'm telling you. I'm not just telling everyone, you know. But <laughs> but what happened was, you know, they didn't even get to me. They took me in an ambulance finally. And uh, luckily, I was lucky that I survived. They said I was over 90% blocked in the artery they call the widow maker. And I felt like I was being watched over. I, I never, I don't remember feeling nervous at all through the whole ordeal. Uh, it was a tremendous inconvenience. They kept me in the waiting room, not in the waiting room, in the emergency room for nine hours until they could get uh, a bed for me in the cardiac unit. And they didn't open the blockage till the next day. They didn't realize how serious it was. What I found out afterwards is that theoretically, if you're that blocked, they're supposed to do it within 90 minutes. And they didn't do it till the next day, like uh, a day and a half Jeez, later. Did you ever sue them? No, I was just so grateful that I'm okay. They opened up that that artery. They put in a stent, and they sent me home in three days. And I was like, don't you want to keep me? And they're like, no, you're okay. I was afraid to leave. They said, you could stay if you want. But they were sticking me like every hour or two to take blood. And I thought to myself, if they think I'm well enough to go, I'll go. You know, and so, but I realized the miracle that occurred. Nothing ever has to happen. You know, there are plenty of people that have that that don't have a great outcome. And I was I was back on stage five days later performing. The owner of the club said to me, I can't believe that you're here. And I said, well, I didn't want to lose my spot. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's all it's all an attitude. I, I've uh, People ask me if I changed since then. And I said, no, because I was always grateful. I try to go through life with a feeling of gratitude for what I have. Um and when we talk about happiness, you know, I heard a lot of definitions of happiness. And some genius once said, happiness is wanting what you already have. 
Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with wanting more than you have and working towards it and setting goals for yourself. But along the way, it's important to kind of be satisfied. If you have your health, you have everything. When you're sick, there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what your connections are. You know, I, I was lucky that I got a doctor who knew what to do. He actually went into my heart through my arm, which was great because a lot of times they go through the groin and the top of the leg, and it's kind of uncomfortable, and I heard it takes longer to heal. And I was lucky that I got a guy who went in through my arm, you know. They told me that they were going to do it the next morning. They were going to do something to me. They felt I had a blockage, and they said, if you have pain during the night, we'll do it as an emergency. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do it as an emergency. Who knows who's on duty in the middle of the night, you know. It could be like, you know, new doctors, and like, I didn't want that. So it turned out that I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had some pain, and I just said a prayer, and I went back to sleep because I was like, I don't want to tell them, you know. I don't want to have it done as an emergency at like 3, 4 in the morning. And I, I was able to wait till the morning, and I got the doctor that I wanted, and he went in through my arm. He even said to me before, because I insisted on meeting him, and as they were wheeling me into the operating room, he came out to introduce himself. I was already kind of under the effects of the anesthesia. And he said to me, it's my duty to tell you that your arm could go uh, permanently numb, but in all my years of doing it, it's never happened even once. And I said, you know what, I trust you, just do what you have to do. And while I was on the operating table, I remember kidding around with him because you're you're kind of awake when they're doing it, and I was feeling what they were doing. And I said to him, I remember saying to him, I feel you in my heart, not in a romantic way. <laughs> I feel you in my heart. <laughs> so I was I was even joking around on the operating table. And I think that that kind of stuff helps you to recover if you have a positive mindset. I think because. As you asked earlier, if there's a connection between, you know, your your emotional and your physical bodies, and I think that there's a very strong connection. You know, when you're happy, you release endorphins. You know, when you're laughing, when you're when you're laughing, when you're eating chocolate, um, you know, there are certain things that you do that release endorphins, which are known as the uh, the pleasure chemical. So me being in the world of comedy, you know, we're laughing all the time. You're always surrounded by people that are looking for the joke, you know, and I really believe that that keeps you in a, a healthier state. I don't think it's any accident that so many of the great comedians live to be old. You know, Milton Berle was my sponsor in the Friars Club, and he lived to be 93, and George Burns was 100, and Bob Hope was 100, and Henny Youngman was 91, and on and on. Well, I love the back of your uh, to back of the book. You've got these incredible words of wisdom. One of the ones that really resonated with me is guilt. It says, you say, guilt is paying interest on a debt you don't owe. The more you say, the less people remember. Don't give up before the miracle happens. Don't mistake self-loathing for humility. Of all the words of wisdom and those quotes of wisdom, what do you think is the most profound and the one that you feel has the most power? Hmm. That's a great. That's a great thing. Let me see if I can get to that page because I don't remember them all offhand because there's a lot. But there was some there that are really, to me, are very, very important. Um, 
let me see if I can scroll down to get those. Um, let me see. Well, I'm at the bibliography, so I must have passed it. Let's see. Um, you know what I like? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that's why they call it the present. That's awesome. I think that's a great one, you know, that... Don't worry about the past. It's gone already. And tomorrow may never come. Who knows what's tomorrow. But what you do have is today. Enjoy today. Enjoy the people that you have in your life. You know, be grateful for what you have. Because who knows about the future? Who knows? But the one thing that's for sure is that you can't change the past. The only thing that you can change is your perspective of the past. And that's a lot about what this book is about, too. Teaching you to look at your life. Again, look back, but don't stare. But try and look at it in a different way. Realize that, you know, if your parents weren't that great to you, hopefully they did the best they could. They might not, you know, a lot of times it has to do with what their childhood was like. Sometimes they don't know any better. That's all they know. They, you know, you wish they would have known better, but you can't dwell on that because it'll make you sick. So you have to be grateful for what you do have. A lot of people get divorced and they have children and they wind up hating each other. And as I as I stated in my book, you know, I'm very grateful that my ex-wife and I get along well and uh, I spend time with her and her family, with her new children. And uh, she she had one of her own and adopted two children. And those children needed to be adopted and that other child needed to be born. And that couldn't have happened had I stayed. So... All those things, you know, you, very often you can see them in retrospect, but it's a more comfortable way to lead your life. If you love your children and someone gave them to you because it was their DNA, then it doesn't serve you to hate that person, you know. You have to try and get along for the sake of your children, you know, and because you're grateful that that other person gave them to you. Those children wouldn't be them if it wasn't for that other person's DNA, you know? So there are different ways of thinking of things, and when you can incorporate that into your thinking, you have a, a more comfortable existence. Your life is more comfortable, and you'll be happy. And that's the goal. That's what we want. We want to be happy. So, Mr. Jeffrey Gurian, it is a great honor to be speaking with you today. Mr. Gurian is author of the phenomenal new book, Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. You can learn more about Mr. Jeffrey Gurian by going to his website at jeffreygurian.com and we'll post things all around the Seven and Truth Radio Show website about the book, where you can find it, where you can get it. There's a lot of it. I just want to say on my website, it looks like it's all show business, but it's not. There's a there's a column there that says about, and if you scroll down there, it has about spirituality and healing and my technique for stuttering and about headache therapy, there's a lot of serious stuff too, but the main part when you first open it is about comedy. So you can feel free to ignore that and go right to the about column <laughs> and you'll see a lot about what we're talking about. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Thank you for having me on, Ryan. It's always great to talk with you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Mr. Jeffrey Gurian. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, 
Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constance Dellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and fears. Take care and thank you so much for listening. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Let me tell you something. I don't agree with that for one second. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's cold outside. It's freezing. This summer, you can get a tan. You can go to the pool. You can walk outside without a jacket. So where am I going with this? Oh, right. This holiday season, after you trample over your fellow neighbors after Thanksgiving to go for all those Black Friday sales, forget all that. Don't even engage in that. Why not get someone the gift of a lifetime by getting them a reading with one of the Outer Limits of Truth Radio Show Incredible Virtues, psychic medium Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about her by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Carrie has seen auras, talks to people, animals. She can facilitate communication. She's an incredible psychic medium. And then we've got the astrophenom, Miss Constance Tellis. Learn more about her by going to her website at constancetellis.com. Miss Tellis can do your chart. Find out what's in store for you in 2018. Find out if the person you're with is astrologically compatible. And then, how can we forget our beloved virtue, Miss Lisa Kaza, psychic empath. Lisa will give it to you straightforward. She can pick up on things right around you, tell you about where you're going, really get a good gauge on where your life is headed, and answer some profound, incredible questions. And of course, we can learn about Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. This holiday season, don't kill yourself by trampling over a fellow neighbor to get a toaster or a special deal when all the good deals are online. Anyway, get a person a gift of insight into themselves. I highly recommend getting a great reading with one of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show Virtues. Thank you so much for listening and have an unbelievable holiday season. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.